Welcome to Beyond Sunday, a new season of Better on the Inside. This is your host and digital pastor, John Pyle. Howdy, everyone. What's up, y'all? That is my usual call to action, where I get a chance to say hello to all of you wonderful people that are listening to this. So, if you are seeing this live, you are part of our exclusive Better on the Inside Facebook group. And if that's you, I want to thank you. Thank you for creating this group. Thank you for making it what it is. I appreciate you, and I'm super thankful. If you're hearing this or watching this any other time, it means you can always subscribe to that Facebook group, facebook.com slash better on the inside. Excuse me, facebook.com slash groups slash better on the inside. <laughs> it's live. It's wacky. Uh, and you could subscribe there. But if you're listening or watching this any other time, it's just going to be like a normal thing. Uh, I wanted to share with you some purpose. And so uh, a little conversation about purpose. And so before I jump into purpose, I just want to share a little bit of inside business, podcast business, inside business uh, for the folks that are part of Better on the Inside in the season of Beyond Sunday. And so this week, because it's spooky season Halloween, there's going to be two episodes. That's right. There's going to be two separate episodes, one where I deep dive with Dr. Laura Robinson about The Exorcist, and one where I get a chance to talk to my friend Ray de Armas about purpose and becoming a medical missionary in his own country, really, and what it means to take care of people and to love people and to help people. And so uh, those are two things that I'm going to release at the same time, because talking about The Exorcist is something I love because I love horror movies. But there's a lot of people that don't love that. There's a lot of people that are not horror movie people, and that's fine. And some people might even have objections to it, especially when it comes to something like The Exorcist that talks about the demonic. And so I want to say, to me, The Exorcist is a Christian movie. The faith wins. Jesus is the hero. It's, it is absolutely a Christian movie. In my eyes, it has some horrific images um, and some pretty vile stuff. And if you're somebody who doesn't like to deal with that, then don't listen to the podcast. I will say we don't dive too deeply into anything that would be upsetting for you in the podcast. So if you wanted to like listen and not have any high stakes and learn about a movie that maybe you've been scared of, it might be a good thing to do. But if you're somebody who's like, I'm not even going near that, uh, there's a whole other podcast episode that's going to be coming out at the exact same time with Ray DeArmas, who is a very awesome dude. So I wanted to catch you up on that business. Uh, but all that said, right, before we really get this thing started, before we get it really kicked off, before we start the podcast, <clears throat> I want to share some just insight about purpose. Because a big part of my conversation with Ray is about purpose. And it's about you know finding what you're meant to do and, and kind of a deeper connection. And it's one of the challenges of purpose. And so I wanted to, I've learned a lot about it. I've had a chance to research purpose and kind of go down and help create the purpose path at City Church and put a lot of resources together that can help folks uh, be able to discover their purpose and then live it out. And I've learned a lot in that. And so I wanted to share like four components of purpose that can help define it because for a lot of people, defining purpose is one of the issues. It's like, is it the thing I love to do? Is it the thing I have fun? Is it the thing I'm good at? Is it this? Is it that? Is it this? And oh, it's got to make me feel feel passionate, but should I also like make money from it? Is that part of it? Should I? Is it what does good? And so there's a lot of misconceptions about purpose. So I want to unpack four 
little pieces. It's actually four little pigs. Uh, P-I-G-S is a little acrostic that can help you remember this. Pigs as it relates to purpose. And I might drop a bonus one in there too if I get the chance. So I wanted to share that with everybody. Uh, and shout out to everybody watching live Facebook group. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Love you guys and everything that you're doing. What's up, y'all? Welcome to Better on the Inside in our third season, Beyond Sunday. You know, before I get started on the podcast and a great conversation with my guests, what I wanted to do was share with you a little insight on purpose, because purpose is one of the most confusing things that is out there in the world today. And everybody, like, there's like a sense of you shouldn't just like make a living, you should also have a purpose, right? You should also be able to move forward something that you're passionate about and that you love doing, but make a living from it and maybe be famous by it. And, and there's a lot of misconceptions about purpose. And so I just wanted to share with you what I've learned about purpose. Uh, with a little acrostic called PIGS. It's a little acronym that can help you understand what purpose is and to help you define it so that at least isn't this like ethereal thing that's just playing around in your head. Because I think the key to living your purpose is starting. Like if you really just want to start at the beginning, it's understanding what purpose really is. And so PIGS, we start with P and that's personality. Discovering your purpose, you got to know more about your personality. There is something that you communicate to people before you said a word just when you walk into a room or when they see your profile online. If any of you guys are out there online dating, shout out to anybody who's in that hellscape right now. You want to talk about the real scary movies of the season. It is Tinder and all the online dating apps that people are doing. So, uh, But your personality, who you are fundamentally, like some of these things that are the, the attributes of your personality come across before you even talk. And it comes across even stronger as people get to know you. And they're attributes of your personality that are unique. And all of that goes into your purpose. Generally, what I've seen when it relates to purpose is that sometimes people have a purpose that's really tied into their personality. And that is the most common. It, it, like 99% of the time, that's really what it is. You have a purpose tied into your personality. And to understand that purpose, you have to know more about your personality. Sometimes people have a purpose that seems to go counter to their personality, but that is extremely rare. And so if you understand more about your personality, you can have a better idea of what your purpose is. And you might think everybody thinks like you, and I just want to tell you, everybody does not think like you. You have unique things about your personality, unique things about who you are, what you value, how you see the world that help contribute to your purpose. So that's the P, the personality part of the pigs as it relates to your purpose. The I is identity. And identity goes deeper than personality. It goes to your values and who you really are at your core. What defines you? I think every person in life has to answer a question. What do you believe about God and what do you believe about yourself? And however you choose to define that, religious, not religious, everyone has to answer the question of what do you think of God, right? What do you think of this idea of the universe? Is there a God? Is there a creator? Is there a higher power? And that's the first question. The second is what do you think about yourself? And the answer to those two questions help ground your identity. It gives you a foundation for life that you can stand on no matter what happens. And so while your personality is sometimes how that identity plays out, your identity is something much closer inside you. It gives you an anchor when times are tough. It makes the difficult things easier because you know who you are and where you draw your identity from. 
Unfortunately, a lot of us have unhealthy sources of identity, like other people, like people pleasing or identity and a few other things. Um, that just comes from, you know, that just comes from normal life. Uh, and we can have people like negative voices in the way that we grew up and our families of origin that define, that absolutely define our identity to us. And I just want to tell you, that's not your real identity, right? Those negative words are not your real identity. Every single person has been created with value. Every single person is a masterpiece. That's in the eyes of God. But even if you don't believe in God right now or are struggling with that, I do believe you're created to be a masterpiece and you're here for a purpose. And so anchoring your identity, understanding who you are truly at the deepest level and the values that come from that is really important to understanding your purpose. And so the G's, right, we're at PI, and now we're to the G for the pigs, right? And that is your gifts. That is what are you actually good at? It's rare for someone to have a purpose that's something that they're really bad at. In fact, I, I can't think of a person who had a purpose that they're actually really bad at. There may be pieces and components of living out your purpose that you're not good at or you're untrained at or something that, you know, you're not enjoying. Uh, but ultimately, your gifts, your talents, what you're good at is going to contribute to your purpose. And so you have personality, you have identity, and then you have gifts, what you're good at. These kind of come together in these overlapping circles that help define your purpose a little bit better. And so these gifts, you might not know what you're good at. I Let me just be really honest with you. Like, most people that I talk to have no idea what they're good at. They have an idea of what they do for work. They have an idea of what they do for fun. But they, if I ask you, what are you good at? They'd be like, well, I don't know. And so I have a challenge for you. This is a little bit of an extra challenge if you want. Uh, text three people today and ask them what you're good at. Uh, people that you trust, people whose opinion matter in your life, text them and go, hey, what am I good at? And see what their answers are. And that can help shine a light on what you're good at and where your gifting lies. I think there's some deeper gifts than what you're just good at. But it's something that you can do uniquely that not a lot of other people can do. And there's a lot of giftings out there. There's a lot of ways to understand what you're good at. Uh, I do want to like differentiate. Skills can be a part of gifts, right? But skills... Uh, implies that you've worked on it. Skills are something that you can build. So a lot of people confuse their skills with their gifting because they've been trained in something. So if you've been in the military or you've been in a company for a long time, you get really good at some stuff and those are more like skills than they are gifts. Uh, gifts are a little more natural. It's a little more innate. Skills are things that you train in. A lot of times there's crossover in our in our gifts and our skills, right? Because if you're gifted at it, a lot of times you want to do it more and you get more skilled and trained at it. But gifts is really the link to what our purpose is. And so you put together personality, identity, gifts, and you start to get a clear picture of your purpose. Think of these as like forming a picture, like a Polaroid. Uh, for those of you old school people, right? You would take a Polaroid and it would take time to develop. And that's what your purpose is like. And so the components of that Polaroid right now, personality, identity, gifts, what you're good at. Think about what you're good at. And to me, what you do, what you're good at is an act of worship, right? I'm a believer in Jesus. Not everybody is, but it's an act of worship. It's showing the universe that like, and really God, I hate to say the universe, that sounds so like new agey, but uh, when you do what you're good at, it's good for you and it's good for the people around you. And it's good for this bigger thing, this transcendence that we all seek. 
the last part of this pigs, right, our four components that are pigs to this is your story. Uh, so it's not just your personality. It's not just your identity. It's not just your gifts. But your story is often the component that helps shape your purpose, sometimes the most significantly of anything. And so your story is just how you grew up, what affects you, the first time you remembered that things were wrong. Some of those early memories, positive and negative, can help shape your story. And so there's there's a lot of different examples of what this looks like, but it's, you know, a lot of people share the story of like the guy who started Starbucks or someone like Mother Teresa or something like that. I don't want to go necessarily that big with your story, but I was talking to Amana a few years ago. And as we were helping him work through his purpose, the way that he defined it was this. And this is this comes directly from his story. He grew up in foster homes and he grew up in juvenile correctional facilities. And it was a hard life. And there just wasn't a mentor or a grown-up that was there that could help him. And he lived a hard life because of it and made some choices that he wasn't proud of. And so his purpose, the way he defined it from his story was, I want to be the mentor that I never had. I want to be the parental figure. I want to be the helper to come alongside these kids in foster care that I never had. That comes directly from his story. And a lot of times your story, your purpose is going to be on what you want to see lived out in the world. And a lot of times it comes from what I would say like a negative or corrective context of going, I don't want this to happen to anybody else. What's the thing that you don't want to happen to anybody else that you experienced? What's the thing that just gets your blood boiling, that makes you passionate because you don't want to see that happen to anybody else in the world? Well, understanding that is a big part of unlocking your purpose. And so we got our personality, we got our identity, we got our gifts, and we got our story. And if you can dig in on those four pieces, you can really, really help define and discover your purpose and begin living it out and live a much happier life. Now, I can't guarantee that all things are going to go well for you, but I can tell you that you will live a better life if you live a life of purpose. So thank you for taking the time to listen to me today. Uh, this episode is an awesome one, and I can't wait for you to hear as your host and digital pastor, I'm so glad to be with you on this journey. If you have questions, check out our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash better on the inside. Join the community and keep the conversation going. You can also subscribe to the Substack, substack.beyondsunday.com. That's a great place to chat and interact and ask questions. All right. I love you guys. What's up, y'all? My guest today is Dr. Laura Robinson, who is a fantastic individual, an incredibly bright person, and just the best pop culture film theology nerd, really, that I know. So I'm so excited to talk with her about The Exorcist, her favorite movie, one of my favorite movies, and certainly one of the top horror movies of all time. You can make an argument for Halloween. I think that's my favorite. I think Dawn of the Dead is in there, Texas Chainsaw. I know a lot of people like Hereditary and some more modern kind of stuff. But The Exorcist is really the granddaddy of possession movies. 
and really started a whole thing. And so we dive into some really cool stuff with this episode. Uh, my hot take is that The Exorcist is a Christian movie. Maybe you agree or maybe you disagree. But we talk about some of the themes of evil, redemption, some of the vileness. What is the history of the movie? What was the movie's impact on American society? We really unpack it all and talking about the novelist and everything else that involves uh, The Exorcist. It's a really great conversation, and I hope you enjoy what's up y'all i'm here with the one and only dr laura robinson dr robinson how are you i'm good i'm good you know i think as you were saying earlier what else would we expect from an exorcist show but a ton of technical problems absolutely <laughs> there's there's no other way to describe it there's no other way that it would go but dr laura and i are having a chance to sit and talk about one of my favorite scary movies. One of my favorite uh, movies. It is my all-time. It's Exorcist yeah. is by far my all-time. I love it so much. I love the book. I love the story behind it. I love I love everything about The Exorcist. I'm a huge fangirl. Yeah, and so we get a chance to just like do a little little spooky movie pod and unpack The Exorcist, which in my opinion and we shared this before the show, like it's a Christian movie. Oh, the Exorcist yeah. is a Christian movie. That's like 100% yeah. my my hot take on this yes uh, yeah I, but what tell us the story a little bit behind it because i think it would help yeah. people to like to to understand how it all comes together and what made the exorcist the exorcist no for sure because the, the story behind it is is pretty interesting i think and is often you know when you say that like you know the exorcist is undeniably a christian movie i think part of why people might be confused by that is because people don't really know where this came from so the exorcist was uh william peter blady was at george he's the author of the novel the exorcist is based on it mm -hmm. the movie is based on a novel he was at georgetown he was a good catholic kid uh when he heard about the fact that there was um in st louis at the time there was the first uh official catholic exorcism in north america it happened while he was at georgetown in the late 60s wow. so this was really interesting because this is right after vatican ii when you have, you know, like the, the Catholic Church is really thinking a lot about modernizing and, you know, the role of religious institutions and the role of religious orders at this time. So in the midst of all of this, uh, you know, like a vernacular mass, like all these modernizing uh, impulses, suddenly the Catholic Church has a straight up bona fide exorcism. That is, wow. if you know the story of the movie, even you've seen this, is incredibly difficult to get. So... Blady was fascinated by this. And what he originally set out to do was to write a nonfiction article in great detail explaining this story. Um, especially because like a big part of the way he was thinking about this was that like, if you could tell this story, this would solidify to people like why faith is so important, that there still is this like supernatural evil problem in the world that has to get solved. So he tried to get the case files um, and he couldn't do it because of privacy concerns. Uh, the exorcism involved a 14-year-old boy. It's a girl in the book. Uh, and there were there were a ton of privacy concerns. Some of it has since been um, open to the public. And we actually do know more about the story that The Exorcist is based on. But at the time, it was completely sealed. So Blady decides that if he can't do a nonfiction version, he's going to do a fictional version. He's going to write a novel based on what he thinks happened. And he sets out very much to tell a story where a priest is a hero. That's the thing that's really important to him, that a priest has mm. this heroic presence in the story and like overcomes uh, doubt and depression and trauma in his own life to become this 
heroic figure in the face of satanic evil. So that's like what Blady yeah. sets out to do. So he writes his novel. Um, it's a smash hit book. It sells incredibly quickly and is picked up very fast uh, by people who are interested in making the movie, right? So only, only like a year and a half after the book drops is when the movie comes out. And of course, you know, famously, if the book was a blockbuster, then what is the movie? The movie is probably the most influential american movie other than godfather one in three american adults went to go see exorcist in theaters like it is, it is that's crazy it's insane how influential this movie is it was the um for a long long time i think it still is if you just for inflation it was the highest grossing r-rated movie ever mm. um it, it's it, the record was undefeated until passion of the christ came out like this movie yeah. is insanely influential everyone goes to see in a big part of the you, you know of the of the popular yeah. culture enthusiasm around the exorcist is the fact that people are having these crazy reactions because yes. the exorcist is best known and loved and hated for its insane practical effects the exorcist has yep. some of the greatest practical effects in cinema history and they are so gross. <laughs> it's disgusting. I mean, even today, it's like yeah. 50 years old. Yeah. And it's, it is a truly disgusting and scary movie. And you yes. see those reactions. You watch the news of it of like, people are passing out in theaters yeah. for this movie. It, it's like a phenomenon. It's a yeah. viral phenomenon. The B-roll is crazy. That it about, and you can watch reporters get wise to how this is happening. That at about the 90 minute mark in the movie, people start running out of the exorcist because that's the, um, that's the crucifix scene, right? Yeah. You know, and, and people are having these it, it, it's still it, it's still a taboo breaking aggressive film today you know like, nowadays i think people don't quite have the same yeah you know obviously it's yeah it's hard to imagine a movie that would make people run out into the audience like through, through the aisles screaming yeah. today to yeah be truly shocking to yeah. be a truly shocking movie it would be yeah. really hard to imagine what you could do right for that yeah to happen. well and, and i think a big part of why the exorcist hit as hard as it did is because just not even the content but just visually people had never seen anything like that before yeah that's that true at the time you know like how you make a bed raise and shake was a tough question for effects teams, right? Like a lot of this was still hard to figure out how to make Reagan float yeah. was a tough yeah. question. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, some of the contortion effects were done with a gymnast body double, uh, but a lot of that is just Linda Blair, just, you know, wow. just going to town, like, or yeah. sometimes wearing a harness. She wears a harness for some screen scenes that kind of like pull her around a little bit more to right. create more of the, out of control look but visually it's an incredibly difficult movie and then um of course you know then then comes the backlash right is that you have this movie that yeah. is incredibly famous is everybody goes to see it it's incredibly influential and there's a lot of um conversation in the midst of this of this idea that like whether or not seeing the exorcist is dangerous right so like mm. billy graham uh says that people are at risk of becoming possessed or having demons brought into their life by virtue of watching billy these. billy oh billy so we forget okay. we forget what a hellfire and brimstone fella he was in 1973 yeah. right <laughs> it, was, it was a different billy uh but no like 
pastors are warning about people being demonized and like just like the insane evil of this movie. And Blady was actually really struggled with these reactions because Blady wrote this story with the goal of inspiring faith and with the goal. And and if you watch the whole movie through, you can see what Blady was going for. But if all you know about this movie is people, you know, is a girl with her head turning around, stabbing herself with a crucifix, then people running out in the audience, you know, vomiting and screaming, you know, then it it probably seems baffling of like, how on earth could this possibly be a Christian movie? If you watch the whole way through, you can see what he went for. But he was really, I, I think, you know, and we can talk about this, our, our different reactions to The Exorcist. I think that um, there's, a, there's a fundamental tension at the heart of this story, which is what mm. Blady wanted, to, wanted you to feel in response to this and the content that was necessary to create this story, right? Yeah. Because Pazuzu, the demon in question, is... Um, it is horrible is absolutely yeah. it is so perverse and gross and disgusting and like hates people hates children and, and like it uses like hideous language and uh and makes people do hideous things and is just so twisted um which you need that scale of evil to create the drama and the heroism of these characters coming up and taking this thing on and fighting it yeah, yeah. and at the same time I see why it just like I see why it's like a first bite of like incredibly spicy food and it just burns all your taste buds off and you can't catch yeah. everything else because the imagery is so hideous. Right? So um Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I encountered so I didn't grow up in church. Mm-hmm. And so hearing about the exorcist, it purely not as a religious text, but just as the Mount Everest mm-hmm. peak of scary movies. Mm-hmm. just the like hey and I, my parents didn't have any like you can't watch this you can't watch that mm-hmm. so i'm watching friday the 13th when i'm a little kid mm-hmm. and i'm watching halloween and i'm watching all these scary movies and the ex i didn't watch the exorcist i, mm-hmm. I waited because i'm like this is like the pinnacle yeah of all of this yeah. and eventually i watch it and i'm like it's really scary yeah it's like legit it's it's a legitimately unsettling yeah. kind of scary movie and you get you get jump scares you get truly gross things you get like evil you get some evil like incarnate kind of stuff and so coming upon it i was like oh yeah that's really scary and then as i you know eventually find faith and kind of come closer to that and as i've been a pastor i kind of come back to revisit it Mm -hmm. recently and i'm and i watched and i'm like this is a very faith affirming film Mm When you mm-hmm. watch it the whole way through mm-hmm. for what it is, not the sound bites, not yeah. the thing. When you watch it through for what it is, I get the intention. I get the yes. author's intention of the 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 priest is the hero. Mm-hmm. The priests are the heroes of this. And they're complicated 70s heroes. Mm-hmm. And so you have the like this cinema era, right, of these like complicated anti-hero-y kind of guys. Mm-hmm. And so you've got a priest that's like, I don't know if I believe anymore. And he goes through this personal tragedy. And the thing that I think, that, which is super cool, like uh, it, meaning that it's very real, and mm-hmm. it's very grounded. But then you've got Chris and Reagan and you've got a modern woman mm-hmm. and a very like empowered, independent kind of woman. And, and in, in the late 60s, when the book was written, early 70s, like that's like 
that's pretty the fact that she was divorced is a huge taboo that they bring up again and again that it's, it's a cut it's yeah. such a cutting edge like actual thing but he treats her with respect mm-hmm. not as oh this woman's horrible choices mm-hmm. are the reason this daughter has been corrupted like he treats her with a dignity and it shows through her lens how she's being kind of belittled by so many men in this world as mm-hmm. she's rich and she's powerful but the men are still talking down to her mm-hmm. and so it allows for the this complex mosaic of people coming together and it what it kind of said to me why it's faith affirming is like evil isn't worried about your liberal or conservative or democrat or republican or rich or poor or your science or your catholic evil is real so what do we do about it? Mm-hmm. And I I think it takes great faith from someone like Chris. And it, it, to me, like biblical faith, it's like a one of the stories that Jesus tells, right? Of a woman who's like, I, I don't care who you are. Get this thing out of my daughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that that is so affirming in a lot of ways in faith. But it has been treated as like, oh, are you are you sure you're a Christian pastor? You watch the Exorcist. <laughs> it's so right? gross. It's so yeah, no, exactly. It's so maybe maybe it would be helpful to give a lot of people know the Exorcist by visuals, but they don't know the story. Maybe would it help sure. if I just gave a little synopsis really fast? Yes, of what, yeah. absolutely. So just, walk us through the story. Super. So the story of the Exorcist is there's there's basically four main characters at the heart of this. Uh, there is this the one of the major characters is this lady named Chris McNeil. She is a famous actress. She is recently divorced. Her husband, it, her ex husband, is not very involved in uh, her life or her daughter's life. This is continuously frustrating for him. But she is. Trying trying to get back on the horse with performing by doing this movie that is set in Georgetown. So she's away from home. She is renting this house with some of her household staff. And she has this very sheltered daughter who she's really trying to like basically nurture apart from all the like chaos of the urban world and the uh in hollywood, hollywood. Yeah. and and the changing times yeah. and all that stuff. he's she's really try, she has so she has this 12 year old daughter whose name is reagan and she's the sweetest little thing and she and she's a, a wonderful mother and she is sort of you know Chris struggles a lot with the fact that people have a lot of expectations about what a famous actress would be like or what a divorced woman would be like. But she's really she tries really hard to be a good mom. And Reagan, of course, gets very sick with something that makes no sense. And Reagan starts acting in ways that are incredibly bizarre and frightening and terrifying. And there a ton of the movie is just Chris trying to get doctors to take her seriously about mm-hmm. what's happening before we even see possession happening. So yeah. um meanwhile, they're in Georgetown. Uh Chris is neighbors and friends through a network with a man named Damien Karras. Damien Karras is a local uh he has an md in addition to being a jesuit he is a psychiatrist by training and he is um initially kind of like starstruck by chris but they become friendly um and he is going through this major faith crisis at the time and he is not really he's he's going through a lot of trauma because his mother has late stage dementia and this is really bothering him and testing his faith um so he's got that going on and then the fourth character who gets introduced eventually is a man named father karis father karis is sort of the 
anti-Vatican II, we might say. That, like, if Karis is this yeah. very modern... Father Marin. Father, Father Marin. Marin. Yeah, yeah, Father Marin. Right. Yeah. But if, if Karis is this very, like, uh, modern, medically educated, psychiatrically aware priest, Marin is Mr. Old School. We've spent the first 20 minutes with this guy. He's on an archaeological dig in a rock trying to find a demon named Pazuzu who makes like dogs fight and crazy things. Like, he is he yeah. is oh. Mr. Old School. And he uh, finally, you know, once Karis becomes involved in the story originally through the psyche. When, once Karis is called to be involved because of his experience with the, as a priest and because he is psychiatrically trained and yeah. Chris starts asking for an exorcism, Marin is basically the only man in the world who is qualified to do an exorcism in this very modern era because priests aren't normally mm. trained to do this. So that's how Marin gets involved in the story. And, you know, Marin's not just the only exorcist in the world. He is a man with a personal beef with this demon. And it's a, yes. it's a great story. It's an absolute, like, it's his yes. Moby Dick. Yeah, it is. It's his Moby Dick. It is. It totally is that like, he's been trying to get Bazuzu for decades and, you know, and he gets brought into this story and he's just, he's played by Max von Sydow, who was only 42 when they filmed it is crazy it blew my mind it blew my mind because as a kid i'm always like who's this old man yeah. i'm like this old man's still around and he looks younger yeah. now than he did in the exorcist and i didn't realize that he was in old age he's in like, amazing makeup. old age makeup and he's playing the fr frailty very very well no he was only 42 um but he's great and he basically looks exactly the same in force awakens which i think was his last movie part but uh anyway so yeah, yeah. that's true yeah but but it's um so that's that's the story those are the you know chris and reagan are not religious they come to accept the idea of an exorcism originally because of um a psychiatrist says that it might have a really powerful placebo effect um mm. which you know there's a lot of interplay with that that karis is sort of horrified at the idea of doing an exorcism as a placebo ritual that he's worried yeah. it'll create you know new compulsions for someone who he still thinks is mentally ill and of course you know chris eventually comes to be completely persuaded that her daughter is in fact possessed even though she's not um religious even, even though she's not religious and then of course Marin comes yeah. to the scene and is like not just she's not mentally ill, she's possessed, but also I know who this demon is and I've been trailing him yeah. for a while. <laughs> yeah. I'm hot on the trail. I know who this is. I mean, in that way, it plays like almost like Silence of the Lambs, almost like yeah. a serial killer thing yeah. where he's like the he's the profiler. Yeah. And he understands the, the footprint yeah. and the, the fingerprints of this. Yeah, no, exactly. Because like the, the scene where they're like one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when they're suiting up to go in and do the exorcism and they're putting their vestments on, like they're putting their flak jackets on, like they're going to yeah. war. And it is. It's like the Rambo scene before the Rambo scene. It's like it's so very cool. much the action adventure, like Bandolero, <laughs> like except with that, with not bullets, it's crosses. Exactly. And it's like all the Catholic litur <sighs> liturgical stuff. It's so cool. And, and, it, and it's yeah. also in, in the way he's like briefing Marin through this about like the way way it works right that you know he he lies to deceive you and like you know we can't ask it too many questions because it's going to try to throw stuff out to confuse us but then it's going to start mixing the truth to attack us and then like the attack mm. is psychological damien do not listen you know yeah. it's just ah it's so cool but, uh, 
And yeah. of course, <laughs> and of course, Garrus gets in there and he does exactly what you know he's going to do, which is listen. And, uh, yep. you know, he gets thrown Yeah, off. this man in a crisis of faith, listening to a demon, <sighs> tell him how he fa- like how he how he is failing, right? It's oh. so I want I, everything with because, you know, the, I mean, you might even say the fifth character is just Pazuzu, even though no actor. Yeah plays Pazuzu it's Linda Blair of course you know and then there's a voice actress who does some of the deeper register uh tones uh but Pazuzu you know Pazuzu knows Marin and Pazuzu is also really crafty because like once Marin gets in there and starts throwing holy water around Pazuzu just turns all his attention on the guy with the faith crisis just that you know I maybe can't get the old school priest I can definitely get this guy this is the weak link right here and I'm gonna attack the weak link yeah and he goes like all in on him. It's, oh, it's so scary and so good. <laughs> well, and it's yeah. like, but part of what's scary about it is that psychologically speaking, emotionally speaking, whether you have faith or not, that is everyone's nightmare. Yeah. To come into a room to try to do your job and help someone. Because mm-hmm. what they do a really good job of in the book that I'm starting to read, right? It's really Thanks good. to your recommendation. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, but they they show the empathy of Karis. Mm-hmm. They show how much he cares about people and how much the suffering of the world he he hates the suffering of the world mm-hmm. almost as passionately as uh, Marin hates the evil, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have one priest who's kind of focused on the evil, one who's focused on the suffering. Mm-hmm. But but he makes this character empathetic, and so to have to have your worst fears and nightmares, like all the insecurities that you spoken back to you, yeah, is everyone's nightmare. That's a horror movie for everybody. Yeah, no, it's. I think that's that's so. Yeah, that that's so true of like why this is scary, and and, and I think the the other thing that's really is more in the book, but it is somewhat in the movie is this fear of. The level of control, you know, we know the imagery of like the demon making her head turn around, like Reagan's head turn around, spit bile and stuff. But the amount of control the demon has over Reagan's body is really terrifying in some different ways because the the demon can do things like not let her absorb water and can do things like stop her heart. And so there's this constant terror of if the exorcism doesn't work and especially if like Karis is bringing Marin down there's it like like reagan is dying when the exorcism yes. starts like there, there there is a ticking clock that the yes. demon has decided that he is not going to let reagan sleep or absorb any fluids uh and, and he's the demon is just trying to run out the clock he's trying to kill reagan and, and it's terrifying because you know again like putting yourself in this character's head in in this character's head that you're fighting something that hasn't really been fought openly since the middle ages as far as right. you know and like right. you have no education in this you have no training in this and um in in the, the exploration of what an exorcism ritual is that it's part of the way it's understood in this in in the story and historically in the theology is that like sometimes it doesn't take the first time sometimes you have to do this a few times and sometimes like in the entire time the demon is fighting back at you and is it's a really terrifying image to like the the level of like stamina it takes to get through this is such a big mm. part of the way the scene is written i mean that you know the, the exorcism the exorcist is famous for a lot of things but like the last most of the iconography comes out of the last 20 minutes um because the last 20 minutes are when 
Marin comes. Marin's the guy on the cover looking up the stairs yep. and yep. and just they go to town, right? And then they yep. go get they go fight Pazuzu. And it is just the, the for for a ritual that is reading things out loud and holding up symbols to a small child they make it look like the most grueling exhausting terrifying thing in the universe (laughs) yes i mean you know it feels almost like a courtroom scene like you make a good courtroom scene even though Mm. it's just dialogue and people are sitting there it's like a few good men yeah you make it so intense because of the performances like you're just watching Mm -hmm. people talking like you said and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden the intensity is ratchet ratcheted up to 11 and people are just like yelling and like the power of christ compelled you right (laughs) and everything is on and it's on and so i man everything you're talking about is so dead on and like what how did the movie so the movie you talked a little bit about the backlash a third of americans see it I think that the, you know, the pastor wordplay that I used was like, I think he tried to scare that, you know, the author tried to scare the hell out of people. And I think he scared the hell into people. And like, what was the reaction to something? Like you said, Billy Graham is going, hey, don't see it. You might get possessed. And so some people are going, hey, this is very real, maybe too real, taking it seriously. And oh, don't open yeah. the doors of the windows to something like this, right? And uh, <laughs> yeah, which is kind of crazy. And then, but Americans see it. How does religion sit after this? Like, what does like? I I don't think there was like a Catholic revival after this. So what there happened? wasn't, but there. There wasn't, but there was a huge kick up in what's called deliverance ministries. Um, so eventually, what this is sort of the beginning of a lot of what would later come to be known as spiritual warfare. This was already out there in some ways, but because basically what happens after the exorcist comes out is a lot of people decide they need exorcisms and they go to priests and priests are like, did you see the movie? The whole point is we don't do yeah. these. And, uh, you know, um, the man who plays Father Dyer in The Exorcist is a real priest. And he actually said that, you know, a conversation he was having constantly after The Exorcism, uh, after The Exorcist came out, was like, I actually don't do exorcisms. Yeah. Like, this is not a part of my job. This isn't part of the soul care I do. So what eventually happens is that there's a few intersections of like charismatic and evangelical Catholics and Protestants and others who form what is now what what is generally called deliverance ministries is groups of people who will cast out priests and you I mean cast, cast out demons and you can almost make the case that the way this works is that the book The Exorcist gets treated like an Audubon yeah. guide <laughs> to demons right, right. <laughs> like that you know I I remember thinking this when um did you listen to the Rise and Fall of Marcel? Yeah. Yeah, that that they talk a bit about some of the demonic stuff that Mark Driscoll claims to see. And I was like, is this like a cops watch cops situation right. where like cops start to act like cops? It's like, do demons watch the exorcist? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, we should like start opening doors and yeah. stuff, you know, that like a lot of imagery that had previously not really been associated with demons becomes associated with demons because the exorcist is so huge. So a lot of times like what will happen is yeah, you know, there, there's actually a book called American Exorcism that is a history of deliverance ministries after The Exorcist. It's a fascinating book. It's an ethnography of all of these. You should totally check it out. And that goes through like you know, the Catholic and the Protestant forms. So I think what doesn't, 
I, I think what doesn't happen is what Blady really wanted, which is that people find this like strength in old school doctrine and religious leaders and like, you know, faith in Christ. Um, yeah, you know, cause like Marin is a, um, Marin, the, 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 the heroic priest in this, in, in the exorcist is not a hellfire and brimstone character at all. Uh, like when mm-hmm. the, when, when they, they, they read parts of his book in the, in the book and it's like, it's all about like the love of God and just like, you know, how much Jesus loves us. And then when he explains what possession is, the thing he links it all back to is that like the goal of the devil is to persuade us that God doesn't love us. Right. Mm-hmm. So like Marin's theology is not, fire and brimstone and, and Marin is very much like i think the idealistic catholic yeah, figure absolutely. for blady yeah. um you know in, 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 in that he, he's 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 the great hero yeah. and like for blady i think catholicism in catholic theology is all about bravery and self-sacrifice and accepting the love of god and accepting the self-sacrifice of god in christ like these are the dominant themes he keeps coming to when he's talking about this right so i think what's really interesting is that that doesn't seem like it actually had a big put yeah. big rise after the exes what happens instead is a lot of interest in demons and a lot of people who want um who, who want an exorcism and want and, and think an exorcism will solve their problems yeah. which is you know in, in, in the book you know an exorcism is so much a the exorcism in the story is a symbol of a larger theological phenomenon that the exorcism in the story is the symbol of spiritual courage and power and ultimately self-sacrifice in the way that the exorcism actually works. But I think, you know, no one ever accused Americans of not being literal enough. Right. And I think like, it's like born in the USA becoming a patriotic song. Like it, it, exactly. it's like we're taking the wrong part of it and going exactly i think yeah yeah. and we're going we're taking the exorcist and going hey demons are interesting let's think about and it's like he's like no that's not what i wanted you to do right yeah right that like i think the demons become the star of the show and become the star of the afterlife and then you know of course a a lot of this could be argued to be the beginnings of what becomes the satanic panic Mm. and the sort of in the in the rise of the phenomenon of the satanic ritual abuse here right um that suddenly suddenly satan has top billing in american religion which you know is not what blady wanted to have happen in the book and in the movie they do talk about the desecrations right they talk about the desecrations Mm -hmm. of altars and and i could totally see the satanic panic and i I draw a line to something like stranger things where it's like it's in horror movies and heavy metal and these kids are sacrificing kids out in the woods and there's all this like there's mm-hmm. this like dark movement towards Satan, and you can even start to see some of the QAnon-y, like kind yeah. of conspiracy theorist of like Johnson yeah. and Johnson. I, it was John, I don't know what company you heard, but I heard it was Johnson and Johnson. Yeah. Oh, Procter and Gamble for me. Procter <laughs> Gamble. That was it. No, it's Procter and Gamble that are Satan worshippers, yeah. and they actually sacrifice yeah. children in their soap or whatever. And like you hear yeah. these things, and a lot of it feels like it could be traced back to this. Like very yeah. singular. Yeah, yeah. That it, I. That's definitely there. There is definitely a from Exorcist to QAnon yeah. story you could tell of American cultural history. I think you know. Obviously, the the roots of QAnon are 
even deeper in like the medieval like blood libel anti-semitic conspiracy but i think that this the, this sort of newfound fixation on you know exorcist isn't the only culprit sure. right you know because like you do have rosemary's baby mm-hmm. around the same time same thing with the book and a movie uh you do have the omen right yeah. uh but it, i mean the 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 king of the satan movies yeah. is definitely the exorcist though well, right yeah, and, I, I, they're uh, yeah. coming in this era of the 70s where it's i mean you have a lot of movies that are wrestling with evil apocalypse now mm-hmm. really you could argue that godfather yeah. is wrestling with evil too like what yeah. is like what is evil and so we're coming out of yeah. we're coming out of this era of american innocence there's like the leave it to be rare then there's the hippies and there's yeah. vietnam and then we're coming into this new america like it feels like the america yeah. that we live in now is being born out like it, this, yeah th- this is the cinematic era that shows the america that's being born and what we're wrestling with and the problem of evil yeah. is something that people have wrestled with for all of time and this is just our creative way i mean you talk about dante's inferno you talk about like yeah. religious texts here there everywhere like yeah we're wrestling with the problem of evil and the exorcist has a very uh like the apocalypse now version is very almost anarchic of just Mm -hmm. like because it's heart of darkness right it's kind of adapted from that kind Mm -hmm. of thing and then there's other like Mm -hmm. reflections on evil the exorcist is the one that feels like it puts faith first of going yeah to your point actual old school religious doctrine and love Right. Because that's what Marin is representing of like God loves you is really the way forward. And none of these other movies hit there. So that's part of why I'm like, no, this is a Christian movie. It just shows the stuff that is alluded to in other Christian movies. Yeah. Well, and I also think that another thing that I think is makes Blady an interesting figure is that Blady wasn't. I, I, what I, the way I don't want to misrepresent this is that he kind of had like a pietistic mm. streak. It was just sort of like, oh, we just need to go back into ourselves and accept the love of God. That like, Blady is obsessed with systematic violence. Yeah. In all of his literature, in all of his movies, like, uh, racial violence is a huge theme in the book Legion, and then the movie which Blady himself directed of Legion, uh, which is Exorcist Three, is the way it's yeah. known now. Uh, but like, racial violence and hate crimes are a huge theme in that, and um. And, and, you know, like sexual violence is kind of the dominant metaphor, I think, in The Exorcist that like, you know, sexism and patriarchal violence is such a major theme of that text, you know, the way in which like, you know, a girl is victimized and people won't listen to her. And, uh, you know, like the mother is trying to get attention to it. He he was a really systematic thinker about what evil is. And it wasn't as simple for him as like, oh, it's all caused by demons. We need to know. Like, like again, the demons are doing work for Blady. The demons symbolize the extent to which humans collaborate in like these macro uh structures with evil Mm. and the way in which faith and a return to you know the 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 love of god and the love of jesus and the sacrifice of jesus is effective in actual fact for fighting these so he he is a very systematic thinker i think um he's a good catholic right (laughs) you know it's 100 fair for what you're talking about, because again, he doesn't treat Chris with contempt for being a single mom or being divorced. Mm-hmm. Like he, and so my mm-hmm. mom and I, so I think women especially will 
like we want to talk about a horror movie of like going through this diagnosis for themselves or their daughter. Like this is something that many women have lived through. It was something that my mom lived mm-hmm. through. She's been since diagnosed with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. Yeah. But she went through probably yeah. close to a decade where everybody's telling her it's in her head. And yeah. not listening to yeah. it and the symptoms don't add up and blah, 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 blah. And so I think when I'm watching some of the medical scenes in that movie, I'm like, oh, my mom went through that. Like, yeah. that, like and, and yeah. she wasn't possessed, right? Like, <laughs> but, but, there's, but there's an actual problem that I don't know the degree to which he knew because I don't know as much about him that he was shining a light mm-hmm. on this systematic problem, this systemic problem of, yeah. of misogyny in medicine, right? Of just not going to yeah. be like smoking a cigarette and being like, hey, sweetie, don't worry about it. Just give her some <laughs> and it'll be okay. Like that's very much how the doctors are portrayed. Yeah, in a lot of well, ways. There's a wonderful shot of when they're all kind of sitting around telling her that like maybe she should just be committed. There's this wide cut of Chris is sitting in the middle. It, she's wearing all black, and there's like 20 men with identical haircuts and white coats standing around her, and just like it just radiates this like uselessness and helplessness of the fact that like chris is the only one who doesn't look like them and she's the only one who's not in white and she's the only one like you know like being marked with like the black clothes right of just sort of like which is foreshadowing the priests but also like is symbolic of this evil that's holding on to her that like the way and and this is a part of why i think the characters of karis and marin are so winsome and iconic is because like they're the first people who listen to this woman um yeah and there's a lot of there's a lot of bible stories that i think are plausibly alluded to in this the one that blady openly talked about was the um was the gathering swine Mm -hmm. that he he imagined the end of the story as being like a a, a redux yeah. of like the crucifixion plus the gathering st- swine the way that the demons ultimately defeated. Uh, but I think another really plausible one is the Canaanite mm-hmm. woman from Matthew or the Syrophoenician woman from Mark, this, you know, Gentile who is, uh, you know, mo- not part of the Jewish people and who has a demonized daughter and follows Jesus begging for help. And, you know, they, they, there's this response of, you know, let the children eat all they need first because it's not right to save the children's bread and throw them to the dogs. So you, people probably know this story. I think that's, Chris feels a lot like that woman to me yes. that yes. she is, um, that, that, that she, she goes to Karis and she stays on him in like Karis's little faith crisis of, you know, like, I don't really know if this is a good idea. And like, there are no experts that like, that doesn't really deter her. And, and she's, she has this amazing scene where, you know, when she finally goes to Karis and she's asking, you know, she's got, um, she's got big sunglasses and a big hat on because she's a famous actress and she doesn't want anyone to recognize him, her. And, um, and she's talking to Karis and Karis, uh says you know like maybe you should take her to a psychiatrist and chris just snaps because she's she's at this point she says she's taken reagan to 87 doctors and she just starts like screaming at him that like i go to 87 doctors and they tell me to go to a priest and then i go to a priest and you tell me to go to a psychiatrist and just 
and, and, and I love that, like, it, it really puts Karis in his place, mm-hmm. right? That, like, she's tried. She's thought of it. She doesn't need somebody to be like, have you considered this as a mental yeah. problem? Right? <laughs> that, like, and, and, and Karis learns, right? He never does it again. He, uh, he, he, he He's respectful. And I, I think that's a huge part of why those characters are so winsome, that she is so tenacious, but he's also... He, he's also growing and changing with yes, her right absolutely. that he, he he's not disrespectful he doesn't blow her off he doesn't think she's crazy um he's just limited because his faith is really weak and of course there's this little problem that uh there are no exorcists yeah, right, anymore right. right so we don't we don't have yeah. that ma'am like I know that that's what yeah, you're ordering, yeah. but we don't have that oh <laughs> uh, but he does have compassion and his mm-hmm. compassion is so different. And I don't think it's a like science versus faith thing. I don't think that's necessarily mm-hmm. what we're trying to set up. But the way that the the men of science and medicine deal with it versus the way mm-hmm. a man of faith deals with it is that there's ba- there's supposed to be, I'll say there's supposed to be, baked mm-hmm. in compassion to the faith. And I think of so yeah. many messages that we hear now about what it means to be a man of God and it means to be ready for Mm -hmm. violence and ready for this. And then you're looking at something like this where there's clearly a man who's, I mean, he's a former boxer, right? That's the whole thing that they talk about with him. is like, he looks like a boxer. Like they're alluding to this idea that he's not just like some weird, timid priest, which is a lot of times the like stereotype of what that looks like, but he's he's really led by his compassion to go beyond his doubt. Right. Like his compassion yeah. leads him beyond his doubt. And I th- I think mm-hmm. Jesus would probably be like that. Yeah, that's how it yeah. works. Like it, doubt. He's not condemned for the doubt, but his compassion leads him beyond it. Like you said, by a woman who does not believe yet has the mm-hmm. faith to ask for someone mm-hmm. to remove this demon. Like, yeah, which, which is kind of a like tension, mind blowing kind of thing of like. I'm not religious. Yeah. I don't believe in this, but my daughter has a demon in her and I need somebody to remove it. <laughs> exactly. And, like, and I don't know who else to do this except the priest, yeah. right? And, um, and and I also think that, like, I think Blady was really d- deliberate in the way he creates Damien. That Damien is sort of a, um, you know, I think at the time this was sort of a, th- this is an era of, like, developing urbanization. Yeah. And, you know, Damien's a Bronx kid, mm. right? He's a, he, he's a second generation yeah, Italian immigrant. immigrant. Yep. Yeah, he's a rough boy. He's a boxer. He's like, you know, there's kind of an implication he used to be kind of trouble, yeah. right? You know, but he's um, but he is, but he is kind, and he is he understands how he is supposed to respond to people who are sick and who are in you know, who need help, and and he has this fundamentally empathetic, compassionate core at the heart of these seemingly rough edges right um which you know is just part of what makes his character so so appealing and so you know why he's so iconic and um yeah i I don't know um i mean there's there's so much about that yeah that part of the story and you know again part of what has frustrated me a little bit with you know sort of the the legacy sequel right of Mm -hmm. the exorcist is sort of the idea that you know when you watch people talk about how they're going to make this movie is like you know we wanted to bring in like you know critical like modern issues of gender into the exorcist like what are you talking but, about did you, not, <laughs> did you not see the exorcist like, it, like the, yeah. it, it's already there and it's not only already there yeah. just because we haven't done anything better 
as a society doesn't mean <laughs> that we have to change how we bring it in. Like, I think a woman could yeah. – I haven't seen the legacy sequel yet. I need to go see it. But, yeah. I, like, I think a lot of women <laughs> of all kinds of backgrounds would relate to Chris or and or Reagan. Yeah. And yeah. other characters in the movie, even a father Karis. Like, I, I think yeah. it's relatable what they would see with power dynamics and everything else. And so the idea and mm-hmm. the line that, you, that keeps pissing you off that has gotten you on a Twitter <laughs> rant has been like, I would have been in the room, but for the patriarchy, which I know uh, it, it feels so, so antithetical is- one to the character. That, do, that doesn't yeah. feel like something that Chris would say. It's not Chris. It doesn't no. feel like what she would say. And then two, you're like, well, you're not in the room because you're not an exorcist. <laughs> like, that, right. That, yeah. Ugh, ugh, ugh. So that's a line from the legacy sequel. And it drives me insane because it's so antithetical to not just to Chris, but the relationship she has with the people in the first story. Mm. You know, it's like, it's just the, the, the real Chris yeah. would never say it, so to speak. Yeah. Because Chris, under you know, in, in the story, part of what, part, you know, why, why the story is so moving and why I think we keep going back to The Exorcist is that ultimately The Exorcist is, in addition to being scary, it's a great drama. Yes. It is thematically very rich, but these all feel like real characters mm-hmm. and all their relationships are really deep and rich. And Karis being this, you know, navigator of this, you know, outdated system for Chris and trying to figure out how to get Chris her exorcism is really powerful and really moving and is is this sort of like crazy East meets, East meets West with you know with with, with Marin being brought yeah. into this and sort of like old meets you know like the, yeah. the first time the first time Chris asks how do you go about getting an exorcism Karis kind of thinks she's putting him on a little bit and says well the first thing you're going to need is a time machine yeah. uh, because like they don't they don't do this, don't do right? this <laughs> yeah and, and you know and, and of course what you realizes that she's not putting him on she's being completely sincere because she personally needs one but but i I, like it's those little like human moments that i think make the story work Mm. that like you believe so much these are real people you know like there's a part of me that like honestly god thinks i'm gonna like meet father cares in heaven someday (laughs) like that like he feels really (laughs) he feels so real to me even though i know he's obviously uh, it's so good to see you But like he's so he's so real to me because he's just such a well done character and and I think part of what um I have not seen The Exorcist two uh, I have seen I I have seen Exorcist three uh, which is a really interesting movie because it's one of two movies that Blady himself directed oh. as opposed to just wrote yeah uh, you know Blady uh, Friedkin re- directed The Exorcist yeah. uh, Blady and, and then Blady eventually. Um, if if you if you've if you've seen the version that's called the version you've never seen the kind that was re released in two thousand, that was the version that Blady um, had some of his scenes that he wrote put back in mm. that weren't actually in the original version. So that's a little bit more like there's sort of the Friedkin version of The Exorcist. I think Friedkin is more comfortable with the ambiguity yeah. and sort of like the, the 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 evil and the darkness, whereas like Blady has much more of a theological. Right. So. Um, there's a really famous scene in The Exorcist where uh, uh, where where uh, it's 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 in the book and then it's um, where Marin is explaining to Damien why possession happens that you know I think the idea is that 
I can't quite remember the line, but I think it's the goal is to make us see ourselves as animal and ugly and to despair that God could truly love us. Mm. And I think ultimately faith is not a matter of what is it? Faith is ultimately a matter of love. It is about believing God loves you. So there's a, there's a lot, there's a scene in the movie that Max von Sydow delivers that monologue and it wasn't in the original version. If you, so if you see it, now in a movie, you're seeing the, the the version that Blady had it put back in in the 2000s. Um, the other one that Blady, the other scene Blady had put back in when he sort of got editing cut, uh, editing rights for this new re-release version, is uh, the Spider Walk. Yep. The Spider Walk is not in the original. I remember that one because uh, that w- that was re-released when I was in college, and yeah! like, I think we went to see it, or some roommates went to see it, and that was yeah! like one of the big advertising pieces of like The Exorcist, like you've never yeah. seen it before. Yeah, it's a crazy effect, which I think is why he had it put back in there is just because the the effect is really good. That's um that's a gymnast uh who she has a she has a back brace on that's dangling her from the ceiling, so she's not putting actual pressure on her wrist so it looks lighter yeah. than it's supposed to. Um and they just have this girl run down the stairs and scream and Oof. uh you know playing Reagan. It it looks great. It looks fantastic. It's an absolutely wonderful effect. Yeah. Uh Free can cut it because he didn't think Reagan should leave the room once she's been possessed. He thought that it, all the action should stay in the bedroom. Um, I respect it. It's it's a it's it's a good effect. Yeah, a great, it looks really good. <laughs> like, uh, and it's in the book. In the book, um, in the book, it's a more extended scene where Reagan is kind of like following people in the house around doing a spider walk mm. for a while. It's just, you Ugh. know. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some of the images in the book you probably could not put into film. Sure. The, I actually, the, the book is, the book is gnarlier. It can yeah. be, you know, because you don't actually have to look at it, but you know, but the, it's pretty faithful. So yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, when you're, so when you take a movie like this, so as somebody who is an, I would say like an expert, right? You're an expert yeah. in crafting <laughs> curriculum and thinking about the problems and the questions and what these kinds of movies bring up. Like when you take a movie like The Exorcist, like if you were teaching a class mm-hmm. on it, which maybe you already have, but like if you're teaching a class I did, on yeah, it, yeah. yeah, what are you like, what are you encouraging people to look at? What challenges do you have yeah. for them? What What applications do you have? Yeah. Yeah, so we uh, we opened with this last time I taught religion and film. We opened with this movie. Um, so we basically, I, I, I we took it a few different ways. One was just diving into the story, and we focused a lot on, the thing I really encouraged people to, to do was to focus on um, Chris and Damien character arcs. That's what I was just sort of thinking. It was like, you know, let's, this is ultimately a story about growth and change primarily for Damien, but Chris also has a really critical arc yeah. in the story. Right. And, um, in going through that of trying to think through who's the protagonist. So we, we talked about that and particularly the, the ways in which Damien's faith changes in response to other characters mm. acting in the story. Right. You know, because like Marin has this very central role of being kind of the person who, breaks this open yeah. for Karis, right? Is the person who's able to make this, to, to make his faith something that's real again. Um, and then we also, we, we also did a, a big series on the afterlives of the exorcist, right? So we talked about deliverance ministries. We talked about uh, the rise of demon 
language and media phenomenon and then we talked about the satanic panic and we and we talked about the mcmartin trials right and um you know obviously the exorcist is only one part of that story a lot of that stuff you could also trace to um like the manson sure but it is part of that story right um but you know i don't the thing i don't the afterlives of the exorcist are really important i and i think that's really critical um i think the question the discussion question of whether or not the exorcist is effective at what blady wanted it to be at is what i think is just ultimately the most interesting question about the exorcist that that to me is like that is the question of the exorcist for me is does it inspire feelings of courage and faith and confidence in love of god yeah uh and why or why not because like i had a really unusual experience with the exorcist for the first time is that like the first time i saw it for the first time when i was in grad school I, I I was like you. I had put it off a long time because I just heard it was so scary. And um, and my my sister had actually been really disturbed by mm-hmm. it. And it was just sort of like, I don't think anyone needs to see that movie. And um, I watched it in grad school. Um, I was watching it with a group. I fell asleep while it was on after like 10 minutes and like woke up when it was over. I was like, oh, man. But I still had the DVD because I checked it out from the library. So the next morning, I just put it on by myself at my house just to like see what all the fuss was about. And I was I don't know if it was just this context of watching it on a Saturday morning with my coffee for the first time. I was riveted. I was I was I, I had exactly the experience blady wanted me to have and i think there's a few different things going on i think that like i was older i wasn't that disturbed by it but also i was like you know going grad school for religious studies can be really rough on your faith and i think that for me i was really wrestling with the fact that a thing that had really been like the cornerstone of my christian experience the bible i was now like reading in this really different way and it was challenging me and i think that just like falling into the story with a character with characters who i loved who were going through the same things or whose faith wasn't really dependent on academic concerns but just on like showing up and doing the right thing i had exactly the experience blady wanted me to have i watched it like twice in a row that day i was completely i called my sister i was like you have to watch this movie again i know it disturbed you now it's one of her favorite movies but i just like i I got exactly what i was supposed Mm. to get out of it and i don't think I, I do not have a normal exorcist story, yeah. <laughs> right? And, and that's uh, <laughs> I don't think that happens to most people. And uh, and it still is. It is by far my favorite movie of all time. And I think a big part of that, you know, because like I do get reactions to that along the lines of, you know, you know, isn't it isn't it so demonic? Isn't it so disturbing? And just like all I can say is that like that movie was there for me at a time in my life where I needed it to be, yeah. and it still is. It's still a really anchoring inspiring encouraging movie for me and i appreciate the fact that i have the definition of a minority yeah. experience with the exorcist well, it's perfect because there's two <laughs> funny things about it one is that yeah. you you like found it so peaceful that like mm-hmm. that, that it was faith affirming right that it was like mm-hmm. i watched the exorcist then the second part is that grad school is so tough on your faith because that's so true like it, <laughs> i know you, you yeah you took you were like you know what i need after a tough like semester of grad school i need to watch the exorcist to restore my faith. I, need, I need to unwind with it that's like that's <laughs> so good and I, I still do that. I still actually like there's a real like warm bath, relaxed feeling that like 
sometimes when I'm just like, when I just like, it, it doesn't even have to be like I'm going through something. Sometimes when I just need it, I just watch the last 20 minutes of The Exorcist. <laughs> like I watch, I watch Marin show up and do his yeah. thing. I watch, I watch him suit up. I watch Karis dig deep and be the hero he needs to be you know um the power of christ compels you is the first time he really like stands up and acts like an exorcist right instead of a terrified psychiatrist right right? you know it's um it's great i find it incredibly moving and i just i I love the story and um yeah and and i don't i i don't i I, i've been kind of playing into the medical thing a lot i don't think it has to be a like a faith and science thing because like because i think in the story it's not really there, there's two things going on. One is that the problem is faith-based, yeah. right? And the the part of the storytelling mechanism is that to get the exorcism, you have to prove yeah. there's nothing medically wrong, yeah. right? So, th- so that's a huge part of why the story is told the way it is. Um, not that like doctors are like bad in the story. It's just that they you have to prove that they can't solve it yeah. to get the exorcism. But then a big part of it is you know. And I was thinking about this a little bit with the belie- the exorcist believer line of, you know, that they wouldn't let me be in the room because of the patriarchy. That just like, at the end of the day, this is a story about characters. And the characters do represent things. But I don't think that it's as simple as the messaging is that like doctors are sexist, but priests are not, right? It's just like, this is a story about these two priests. Mm. And these two priests who are very who who do have deep empathy for others and who aren't judgmental of moms who are in entertainment and who don't think that chris must be a bad mom for the stab like these are the priests we we meet in the story right and and, you know and and blady wasn't in blady wasn't an idiot you know he he explores more of the world of faith and its downsides around it and then of course there is also the other part of the Catholic church in the story isn't just these priests. It's this big institution that won't give Chris the exorcism that, you know, yeah. so, so, so the, it, the portrayal is complicated, but ultimately it, it's, it's about these two men yes. and how they respond to yeah. it. And, and they're, they are, I think a really inspiring set of characters because they are so, um, because they are they are so fully realized and especially in the case of karis um because he he has such a long way to go to be able to be the person he needs to be to solve this and we get to watch them do that it's a a a great point though that they're people first and pre-second right (laughs) yes because it's not like you said i mean if you want to talk about patriarchy like medicine and religion are two of the like mm-hmm. biggest yeah, exactly. like, patriarchal <laughs> institutions that we have in the world in this country, especially. Yeah. But the point yeah. isn't oh, patri like the church good, medicine bad. Mm-hmm. It, to your point, it's just that somebody yeah. somebody listened to Chris, and in, yeah. in the story that he wanted to tell, it's the priest that listens, mm-hmm. and you get the empathy yeah. and compassion. Yeah. And, and you do have, you know, Kinderman is introduced in this book and then he becomes a major character later in the series in Legion. Because, uh, you know, Kinderman is a Jewish character. He's the officer. Um, and he he eventually becomes a, you know, a, a full character in his own right, who has his own perspective on what evil is. And in that is given serious engagement. You know, um, Kinderman is a... Um, 
he's the guy who throughout the book and the novel is kind of indicated to be a very lonely person mm. he's the uh he's the um anyway, again yeah, this is part of why the exorcist is such a good story is because it kind of has this happy ending mm. element that uh kinderman is uh this very like lonely man who can't really get anybody to hang out with him essentially yeah. is a big part of his character and then at the end father dyer damien's best friend damien Karras's best friend uh is left alone and grieving after the event- events of the story and then kinderman pulls up and invites him to a movie and like so we have this like you know I, there, there's a lot of different elements of this story that like yeah, yeah that, that it's not just about you know like going to the priest and getting your answers it's about community and like friendships across faith is like all part of this vision of overcoming evil in the story that's really beautiful that um yeah that, that, there's even a resolution for kinderman can't get someone to go to the movies with him right like that's yeah <laughs> Well, that's actually a really cool piece about the community because there really is like a weird patchwork community around this because you have Sharon, who's the like Mm -hmm. babysitter, like au pair kind of character. And you've got the housekeepers and you've got these other, uh, the other folks from Georgetown, like you said, Father Dyer. And you've got like just these people circling the the story and that Mm -hmm. community piece is pretty brilliant. And in the... um, in the book, I can't. I, I think she's in the movie, but you have the psychic, right? The mm-hmm. me, the spiritual, yeah. And like, there's just a bunch yeah. of people who are in this orbit, and it's very human, yeah. like you said, very human. Yeah, yeah. That, like we we believe these are people who are living there, who who have lived in DC a long time, and these are their networks, yeah. right? And these are the people they, you know. And then Kinderman eventually comes back through as a character because of that that role um do you know the story of the ending that was written but not shot for the exorcist no tell me about it so this is this is another one of those like great uh bible references in it was that it was supposed to be the end that father dyer you know i guess spoilers for the exorcist but i'm kind of assuming people know the outline of what happens in it but father dyer is back at the track where damien used to train and he's grieving and he's sad and like so there's sort of this window of hope for him that he's going to have this new connection with kinderman which we later find out in legion that they become friends for like 20 years. Like that actually does happen. But but he's grieving the loss of his friend at Georgetown. And he sees this man out training on the track and the friend comes up and says things that sound very Damien. He doesn't know this man. He's a stranger on the track who's training. And he says things that sound very Damien ish and basically tells Dyer that I'm at peace. It's okay. And then jogs away. So this was supposed to be the take on the Emmaus road scene Mm. in the gospel of Luke that Dyer at the end is comforted by Damien in another form who God sends back to assure Dyer that he's okay. So the, the reason why the, Blady wrote this as the last scene because he was worried that there wasn't enough assurance that Damien's sacrifice was not in vain and that he was at peace. Because um, in the book, when Damien dies, Dyer hears his final confession. And Damien, it says in the book, has this like look of like transcendent joy on his face. Mm. Like he knows he was successful and he knows he's going to heaven and everything's, you know, and, and he, he did what he had to do and he he's at peace yeah. finally, right? And of course, we can't, that wasn't shown in the movie because it would be really hard for that actor to do that with the like brain makeup. Yeah, right. Right? Like, be really, you know, it would be uh, the the you know, we don't see Damien's face when he dies in the movie um, because of the way the effect 
has to be put right Mm -hmm. so that was you know there is an indication of just sort of like the ultimate piece for all these characters both in dire making this new connection with this new friend um and then of course reagan um Reagan saying she doesn't remember any of it, but then Reagan kissing Father Dyer uh, on the cheek when they leave, which suggests that she she does remember one yeah. thing, which is that this man died to save yeah. her, right? And like, and she recognizes the collar. Um, so there is this indication that like what Damien did is not going to be forgotten, mm-hmm. and that it was like, but but I, I I like that the Emmaus Road ending of just sort of an indication that 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 damien was okay right that that god did come through for damien and that damien is in heaven and at peace and is able to reassure his loved ones that he's i i think it's a cool ending i think it's very sweet and it's also just one more little there's so many bible illusions in it and it's just one one really good one that's a really cool one and it it definitely plays upon the sacrifice in the right way because there is something jesus Mm -hmm. about karis in how, oh, yeah. in how yeah. the in how the poor and the hurting and the mentally ill are drawn to him, and yes. they, they just are yeah. drawn to him. And the book really mm-hmm. highlights that super duper well. Yeah. And the movie has the scene in the mental institution uh, when he comes yeah. to see him, and it, it's overwhelming and it's played for scares in the in yeah. the film. But there, there's a real like. Anybody who's ever been a, a pastor or like you, a chaplain, knows that feeling yeah. that he feels in that room yeah. of just like yeah. a bunch of people coming towards you that need something from you. And you're just like, ah, yeah, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Damien's like so weighed down by it. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, that 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 is another. I mean, there's there's a lot of like Christ imagery with Damien, you know, in, in the way his I mean, his last name is Karis Grace, sure. you know, which is pretty on the nose. Yeah. But, uh, yeah it's pretty um, straightforward yeah no exactly but i, I think there, there is this sort of idea that you, you know that, that we are supposed to see him as this sort of like self-sacrificing hero character yeah. but then you know i i do like I, you know it's it's hard in the movie for him to get his due of the assurance that he that he 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 goes on in some way mm-hmm. right so and again that would be another thing that kind of strengthens the jesus connection is that there would be a basically a resurrection at the yeah, end right that right. uh you know not that karis was actually raised but that karis is you know karis is living on yeah. in some well, really important way and that's yeah, one of those so. like what we would say in evangelical churchy kind of circles now is that somebody maybe got a word <laughs> to share right and so it's yeah. a little less catholic but somebody yeah. walks over and goes hey i just needed to tell you that your friend says he's at peace and that it was all worth yeah. it or whatever and yeah. it would mean something to the person but the person delivering it had yeah. no idea and is just like i know yeah. it's a significant yeah, yeah, thing yeah. Yeah, 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 and of course, like in, in the way Blady had it, is that it is it is Karis himself transformed, mm. right? Which is a much more, you know, it, it's much more playing on the resurrection idea, yeah. right? That you know that 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 Jesus' disciples don't recognize Jesus after he's raised, and that and that the idea of, with that being that like Karis. It is in some way raised, but is fundamentally transformed, and his disciples don't recognize him now. But that, that, it, it would have been a really interesting ending, and I, I, I'm a little sorry they didn't do it, but I also get why they did it, yeah. right? You know that the the movie they kind of get us right out of that after the exorcism, and Reagan reveals that what she actually does remember, and then you know, and then Kinderman and uh, Dyer go see a movie together, and 
you know, so, which <laughs> is a, such a funny ending to like such a scary movie. Like, I know. Um, <laughs> you know you catch a movie, like, there's a little Casablanca of like, I got the feeling this is going to be a start yeah. of a beautiful relationship, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and then they become the sequel yeah. characters, right? That uh, you know, the 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 later movies are about. The later stories are about them. I still need um, to. I still need to see the sequels. I haven't seen them, and then I need to see the new yeah. one because that that looks yeah. actually pretty interesting. Besides the patriarchy, part. there's there's a lot to talk about with the role. So my 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 big issue. Here's the thing. The Exorcist works because it is a theologically straightforward story yeah. that this is a this is a Catholic demon. This is a you know, this is a demon who makes sense within a Catholic system. And and it's not I think the whole idea of this was this idea that, you know, like, well, all cultures have demons and exorcisms, sure. which is, is kind of true. It's also kind of not true that, you know, like other other cultures have possessions but or like but they don't they're not always negative and but anyway so I, I think kind of building on this idea that there is this ontological reality of demons and like every culture has their own way of solving it yeah. i think that why that breaks down as an idea for me and why i don't think that is grounded and scary in the same way is that you know okay but then who, but whose demon is this sure, right? sure. like whose who, who's demon is it who, who what belief system does belong yeah. to right that you know it's it's weird to me that, you know, it, it to me, it, it loses something of the grounding if a demon is both scared of crucifixes and holy water and also like incense and herb smoke, right? right? That is like, okay, who, who is, demons are supposed to be like some opponent of the good. What sure. what, what is this demon doing, right? Especially because they call him Pazuzu a few times, right? Yeah. And it's like, I know Pazuzu and he's not scared of salt, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that's to me that doesn't you know i don't know there, there's i i there's a lot you could do with the exorcist now especially like with the idea of the, the declining role of catholicism yep. in american life which which was even kind of a theme in the 1973 that you know like um gfk was the first catholic president right like catholicism was a highly minoritized religion for a lot of american history yeah so like I don't think it's quite true that like, oh, this movie came from an era where Catholicism was dominant. Now it's not. I actually don't think that's true. I think that, you know, th there's a lot of the, 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 the liminal role that priests play in American life is kind of actually a running joke in the exorcist, right? That, you know, like, um, when Kinderman first questions Damien about whether or not the Jesuits, uh, might have had something to do with one of the desecrations in town. He's like, no, but that sounds like the Dominicans, yeah. right? And like Kinderman, and Kinderman doesn't get it, it's right? Just such you an know, like, <laughs> exactly. Like Kinderman, Kinderman's Jewish. He doesn't get it, right? But um, but there's kind of that like I I I think that's part of the world of the original Exorcist, and I think you could do something like that now. But I just you know, sure, pluralism in the Exorcist. I don't know quite how they fit right yeah, i think well, i think it's a you would have yeah. to it's it's a and it's hard a very like catholic Christ, christ first story and mm -hmm. so yeah and, and so that's part but i i mean there's so much interest in the decline of trust in the catholic church since the abuse scandals yeah. plural yeah and all the other things going on like the catholic church is not where a lot of people would turn for safety or comfort yeah and i so i yeah yeah can i pitch my exorcist sequel to you give it to me 
This is my sequel. Okay. I think it should take place in today, 50 years after the original Exorcist movie took place. And there are, there is a group of priests who remember Father Marin and Karis, but are like very disillusioned with the church because of their, you know, like the experience of like of abuse and like yeah. being failed by religious leaders. And like, they're trying to help their congregants with it. And the like, there's a, there's a lot of tragedy there that like Marin and Karis feel a really long time ago. And like, they were kind of the last of their breed and they find out that there's an exorcism, but the, that, that there's an exorcism that needs to happen. They find out that somebody in one of their churches is being possessed, but the hierarchy of the church is covering up for the demon. Like they cover up for abusers. Whoa. That's how I would do it. That's how I would do it is make it a story about courage against is Catholic priests needing to show courage against the institution Whoa. and tell it like an abuse story. That's how I would do it. That would be, I think it's a great, I think it's a great idea. Okay, that would be amazing. <laughs> uh, trademark Dr. Laura Robinson. Yeah. Jordan Peele, call me. Yeah. <laughs> trademark Dr. Laura Robinson. Please yeah. write that. Like I would love. Yeah. I think it's a great that. idea. I would love to see yeah. that. Oh. Yeah, no. Somebody, somebody, get Jordan Peele on the phone now that Universal owns a Universal owns The Exorcist, and Jordan Peele has a good relationship with Universal. Just send him my way, yeah. guys. Okay, <laughs> we'll try to make that connection so that we could get you, so that we could get you going. Well, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I love it. So, Doctor yeah. Laura, we could talk forever, but unfortunately, oh my gosh, I yeah, know. Right? Unfortunately, I gotta get going and go pick up kids. Yeah, from no, school. same. <laughs> uh, and, uh, it's awesome. Well, we'll make sure that people can subscribe to your Substack. Um, yeah, yeah, and get you on there. Called not peer reviewed. Yeah, not yeah. peer reviewed. Definitely check it out. You had a great guide to scary movies that I think we'll definitely thank link you to how to watch yeah. in the spooky season, and we'll get this one out yeah. so that people can kind of brush up on The Exorcist. And maybe I hope my hope for this is that somebody takes takes the plunge and watches the exorcist yeah. so if you're out there and you yeah. watch the exorcist because of this we'd love to talk with you about it just get yeah give it a shot and reach out to us because i i love introducing people to this movie into this book into this like the the, the world of the exorcist yeah. story oh, dude, it's a it's, yeah, i it's wish we could find a way to watch it like together like i could do a I know. watch along i know we should look into this and see maybe like I wonder if other people would be interested in doing that, like doing sort of like a group conversation about. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I guarantee. We'll it. look into this. Because I would love to have some yeah. horror people that are not people of faith yeah. to weigh in on like, what does this movie mean for not people? Of faith? How does this land for you? Yeah. yeah. Because I can only come at from my perspective. Um, I, I would say uh, the review of uh, Red Letter Media, the people who did the really famous uh, Star Wars prequel movies, uh, they do a they do a discussion of The Exorcist between two guys who are are not religious and they it's it's really interesting just to hear a different perspective yeah. on it um but yeah. let's see if we can get a it's group a, watch together this month yeah look us up guys yeah. we would i love the exorcist never get, i think it's on max right now too yes. hbo the max app that's yeah, where i so. watched it watch it on max what are you waiting for it's a great time to go watch dive exorcist, in so. and we'll figure out a way that we can kind of watch it together this this spooky sounds great this spooky season I love this. I love this. Thank you, so, doctor. Awesome. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you so much for tuning into our conversation. Man, I loved talking to Dr. Laura Robinson about The Exorcist. She is brilliant and fascinating and so well-spoken and well-read and just really somewhat fun to talk to about The Exorcist and scary movies in general. 
and follow her Substack. You absolutely need to do that. And I'll put the details in the comments for her Substack and my Substack. If you want to talk more about scary movies, she also writes about Operation Underground Railroad and some other things going on. We both have some projects in the mix that are coming up. But if you want to watch The Exorcist with us, let us know. Man, thank you guys for hanging out. Thank you for listening. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. You can continue the conversation by subscribing to our Substack, Beyond Sunday, at substack.com.